Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's the show. Hey guys, and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast. I am Matt Levy and I am joined with up. Oh, he's in his orange. He's got his hair down underneath. So you can't tell uh, gender, but I know it's Mike. Mike Stab, how are you, Mike? Good. Ready to go into the rooms where it's too warm, but not the rooms where there are water yet. I mean, I could still go in the water, but yeah. it'll yeah. be a it won't be a good time. Check the temperature in your current suit, Mike. You might not survive in certain rooms. Depends. It depends. So we'll see. We'll see. You know what? I don't mind taking a little damage if it means I could sequence break the the situation here in the in 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 a, in a whole new point of view. Yes, in a whole new point of view. So the game that we are talking about, that we are enshrining in our classical Hall of Fame is Metroid Prime 2002, came out November 18th in the United States, in North America, for the Nintendo GameCube. So, Mike, I want to hit you right off the bat. Yeah. We've talked about some Metroid games on this podcast, some games that were fully deserving, but this one's a little different. Where does this one hit for you? Metroid Prime? I I love Metroid Prime. I think it's a top GameCube game. I think if we were to like say, hey, pick out the five best GameCube games, it's probably Wind Waker, Metroid Prime, Smash Brothers, uh, Melee, Resident Evil 4, and I don't know. Pick the fifth. You can you can you can wild card if you want. Yeah, maybe a Pikmin game you could throw in there. Pikmin's yeah. good. There's yeah. a whole bunch of them. I would say Twilight Princess, but that's kind of more of a Wii thing yeah. uh, because it was released. And, and it's you also got some Cap- yeah. Capcom stuff. You got stuff like Beautiful Joe. But I think you're yep. right. I think the the heavy hitters. I think we might be missing one or two. But the heavy hitters, you got it right there. This is in the top class of Nintendo GameCube games. But yeah, among but the did, best. But it was surprising, Mike. This game. You and me are old enough to remember this game is very different than all the rest of the Metroid games that that were previously to this. Oh, for sure. For sure. It was a big deal when Nintendo had come out and say, hey, guess what? The next, the next Metroid game is going to release and it's going to be a first person game. And we're seeing now that at the time, people thought that it was crazy. Obviously, there's a lot of fan love of this game. This game is definitely a a success for the fans that more people want to see this game ported uh, to the Switch. They want an HD version of this so that they can play it on Switch. But I was in high school at the time and loving Super Metroid. Super Metroid is obviously, it's like, that's one of the best games ever made. I can't wait to see what they're going to do with the next one. Metroid completely skips the Nintendo 64. And now there are fans who are trying to create their own version of Metroid 64. And I do believe that there was probably a Metroid 64 in the works that probably got scrapped. And they went to Retro Studios, who is based out of tech, founded by people who I believe worked with Iguana Entertainment. Now, Nintendo and Iguana Entertainment had a had a long history together, uh, especially I believe they worked on Turok. I believe that Iguana Entertainment made the Turok games that were kind of popular with the beginning of the N64, but like Turok Dinosaur Hunter was was fine. It wasn't like anything that was 
crazy good. I believe that Iguana worked with Acclaim a lot. So we got to we got to throw in the Long Island, <laughs> the Long Island, but you know, right. shout out there. Mike, this was definitely a strange partnership between Retro and Nintendo Japan because this game, I believe the audio was done by Nintendo. Certain aspects of this game was sort of a partnership. So it was interesting seeing what Retro had done, what games they had made with Nintendo prior to this. And this was definitely an interesting partnership. As you said, eight years since we saw a Metroid game, Super Metroid was 94. So it had been a long time. And Mike, do you recall what game came out a day after Metroid Prime? Yeah, so Metroid Fusion releases like the same week as Metroid Prime. So you had like, we would kill to have that nowadays. That is never going to happen again. But that would be like Metroid Prime 4 and Metroid Dread releasing in the same week, which seems absurd. And it is kind of stupid. If you look at it from a how gaming has changed now, it's like when Nintendo combined their 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 product lines into one, you realize how much they were kind of diverting their their interest by by creating games on two consoles at the same time. You're kind of like it split their audience a little bit because I was more of a console guy, so I played Metroid Prime. I skipped Fusion. I just played it a couple of years ago and talked about it on the podcast. But Metroid Prime was a whole shift, a whole change. And you're right. When they both come out, it probably hurt the Metroid audience, probably hurt the sales doing this. So I'm surprised that that they went that route. It's like, you don't want to give too much of one thing. And some people, similar to Mario and Zelda, some people sway one way or the other. They like the 2D or 3Ds better. And there's very few franchises you can say, do you prefer the 2D or 3D games? And Metroid is one of the few that you can actually say make a case for either one. Yeah, you can easily make a case for either one. I know there's a lot of retro snobs who are kind of haters on the fact that the Metroid Prime games went went first person, but for for someone like myself who understands and loves the the experience of Metroid, if you go and play Metroid Prime, you realize how much of the core Metroid experience is there. And this is Retro Studios' first game. This is the first game they made. So they partnered up with Nintendo. I believe they're what we would call a quote-unquote second-party developer for Nintendo. I don't know if they're a wholly-owned subsidiary. I don't know if that know that off the top of my head. I think they might just be a subsidiary of Nintendo, but they only work with Nintendo. And coming from the people that made Turok and, and all that stuff, started this new team to work with, with Nintendo uh, to take something that was really kind of like a, a franchise that never really hit in, in Japan, ever, I find that Japan really doesn't like the Metroidvania. Like it doesn't do well over there. Those are games that are almost created for the Western audience, whether it be Castlevania, which performs poorly in Japan, and Metroid, which performs incredibly poorly in Japan. So these games come over to America, and then we have an American team working on it, and they made it first person. And at first, I'm like, oh, great, a first person shooter. How are you going to do that in Metroid? It's going to be bad. It's not going to work out. You got the Metroid's all about the environments. It's about being able to jump. It's about being able to platform. It's about all this stuff. And then Retro goes and makes us what they call a first-person adventure game. So anytime I had a friend who was like a shooter fan back in the day going, oh, I got to get my hands on Metroid. I'm like, just letting you know, if you go to play Metroid Prime, it will not play like a first-person shooter at all. It's, it's built around platforming. And yes, shooting's important, but it's built around platforming and exploration before really anything else. Yeah. And nothing else to this day 
feels quite as unique and original as Metroid Prime does. And I don't, I don't even think Nintendo has been able to, or Retro had been able to come close. Like yeah, again, I think you're right. I think we've talked about a few first-person shooters that were truly special, like the Half-Lifes, the Bioshocks, that try to create atmosphere. But here, they tried to capture what the 2D games did so well, and I think they really do achieve it. They do achieve that this game is exploration, adventure, overshooting. Now, yes, you do have to shoot missiles, you do have to shoot bosses and enemies, but that never feels like the focus of this game. That never feels like there's there's puzzles and exploration and the shift between the first person and third person view for the morph ball. I mean, these were some truly unique things at 2002 where this game was, was winning game of the year awards. I mean, Mike, this really changed the landscape of gaming where people re looked at what first person shooters slash adventure games or what a Metroidvania could be in a first person view. Metroid prime is incredibly influential. I think that it's one of those games that, kind of, like you said, changes the landscape. We often talk about how instrumental and influential a game like Resident Evil 4 was, or Resident Evil was, especially when you're talking about survival horror and you're talking about stuff like Bioshock. But I think that a game like Bioshock, for example, which doesn't have the platforming that Metroid Prime has, a game like Bioshock is probably owes as much of its legacy to a game like Resident Evil that it does to Metroid Prime. I think that the isolation, the feeling that the environment itself is ready to kill you. And just Metroid is interesting because if I talk to someone about Metroid, I don't think nine times out of 10, unless we're maybe talking about Dread, I would never consider Metroid at all, or I would never talk about it immediately, immediately, like from the off the bat, I would never say, oh yeah, well, Metroid's a horror game, but it very well is. And I think that Metroid Prime, because of the first-person view, because you can't see what's behind you, because of Samus's visor and how her visor operates in this game, which is unbelievable, right? Samus's visor in Metroid Prime is a technological achievement. Whether it gets foggy when you walk through mist, whether it when you're changing the different visor modes that she has, infrared, or she has x-ray, or she has whatever the different things she has that she can see, heat seeking. You're changing the guns constantly. Everything has a different look. Everything has a different feel. Everything has a different sound. But when you're walking around in the mask, no matter what you're doing, the environment itself, like it gets dewy on her mask, or she'll get electrocuted and her hand will gum up. And she, if you have the x-ray visor on, you'll see you know, straight through her hand. And you'll see like the bone structure in there. It's something that Metroid Prime doesn't really get the credit it's due because this game, and I remember saying this as someone in 2002, someone who was 16 years old at the time, who this game was like completely, it was a complete like pulled the rug out from under me. I hadn't played anything like this. And I remember being a kid at that age and being old enough to understand like, oh no, this is special. What they've done here is amazing. And lastly, the attention to detail is so remarkable that it's hard to really compare Metroid Prime to anything else other than Metroid Prime 2 and Metroid Prime 3, which are both great games in their own right. Metroid Prime isn't perfect. Uh, I think the key, the key searching mission is kind of dull. And we can talk about that more later as you have to find like all these keys to do this stuff. But I think what it does 
brings it so close to being like a perfect video game and the environment it crafts it feels like you're in it it feels like you're in the game the space pirates are terrifying it's got that the thing meets alien kind of vibes to it and it's just really good yeah something that you brought up mike was the visor the hud display as we've grown to know in first person games but this time it actually has practical reasons for everything to be on your screen because when you play most first person shooters and you see your ammo or your health bar or what weapon you're using and all these different stats it doesn't really make sense that that should be there because you're a guy walking around you're not wearing a helmet you're not wearing a mask and you're just kind of it's there for the convenience of the player but in this game yes it's the visual fidelity and yes yeah, the cool effects but it actually makes sense that yeah. her visor would have these technological features where it has some practical sense to it. And the other achievement I talked about briefly before that I love besides the visor was that it switched to that third person when you went yeah. to Morph Ball. It yeah. made it feel like Metro. It made it feel like it still had that. Because when you go to Morph Ball in first person, what would you really be looking at? You'd be spinning around in circles. Yeah, <laughs> so, it, would be, it would be really stupid. <laughs> so it just makes no sense, but that's got to be so difficult from a gameplay point of view to have the view shift, but it still work functions so well. Yeah, it was a really smooth transition, whether you're using the morph ball or the screw attack. And it's one of those things where I remember seeing that it was in first person and I'm like, all right, so they're not going to do the screw attack or the morph ball is like going to be no way to do it. And then I remember the first time playing it at Sam Goody on a demo unit in the Broadway Mall in Hicksville, New York. So for those of you who are local, you could remember this. I remember playing it. It's like the beginning mission where in Metroid fashion, you go to some place, you do something, the place blows up, you lose all your powers and you got to find them again. And I remember transforming into the morph ball for the first time and seeing it zoom out. And there's that little, little short little clip of Samus kind of rolling up into the ball. And then you're rolling around and you're dropping bombs and you're, it's, it's great. Like it's great. It works. It works really well really well and it adds to the metroidness of it all and you're just like any other metroidvania you're getting abilities like the morph ball the bomb the super bomb the spider ball which is awesome in metroid prime oh my gosh like the spider bomb magnetic rails tracks that you can you can uh, adhere yourself to so you can roll around and solve puzzles and find stuff and metroid also metroid prime also just the shooting really works. Like all of the gameplay elements that make the gameplay very good are so tight. Yeah, it all it's such a really tight good. game. Whether you're dashing around enemies to get behind them to shoot them, whether eventually you're using the grappling hook to steal a mask off yes, a guy to shoot I'm him in the so face. I'm so happy you brought up the grapple you know? beam because the grapple beam was just so cool in this game. I loved being able to use the grapple beam and swinging around. That was a really cool element. And you're right, Mike, because games that are this ambitious... Sometimes part of it doesn't work, like it's more exploration and the shooting doesn't feel well, or the shooting feels well and you don't like the mobility of it. But you're right, they really made all of it work. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's because Nintendo probably went to retro a lot and was like, you guys have to get this right. And also, you're retro, it's your first game. You're working with Nintendo with one of, as an American gamer, a series that like, I always say this, it's like Nintendo, Nintendo is a, a strange company, right? It's like, Nintendo's character is Mario. Always has been, always will be. He's the main guy. He's always going to be your main guy. Nintendo's game 
is Zelda, right? If you're going to say like, hey, what's the game that gets like all of the gamers, all of the core Nintendo fans excited? It's always the Zelda game. That's the biggest one. And then you have Metroid. Metroid is for the game makers. It's for the hardcore gamers that exist within the Nintendo fan base. It's for that niche of a niche of a niche of gamers that love Nintendo, like stuff that's hard, difficult, and weird and dark. And at the same time, a lot of those folks are guys or people that make games, or there wouldn't be a million and one Metroidvanias. Like it's clear that like game designers like Metroid for certain reasons. And I think it's because, and it's why I don't like roguelikes a lot of the time. It's because it's so intentional. Detail is so important. And if you're like a, a game, if you're a designer, that's your job. Your job is to do that. And Metroid Prime does it almost as good as any other Metroid game out there. I think that if you were to say to me, Mike, ask me, Mike, what are the top three Metroid games? I would go probably Metroid, Super Metroid. It's hard. It's going to be hard to cut down to three, but probably Super Metroid. I'm going to go real nuts and say Metroid Dread. And I think Metroid Prime. I think this is a top three Metroid game. And I think those three games are probably like all tied for number one. And that's Zero not, Mission's and that's really that's good not an insult to Zero Mission or Fusion, which are both no. excellent games. But I, I'm probably right there with you, Mike. It's really impressive what this series has done. And people think, but yeah, this is Metroid Pinball. Yes, there's Metroid Hunters. There's other ones out there that- Federation Force. Federation Force. They're not all hits, but they're mostly really, really good games. And this one in particular, Mike, you said it. They just, audio, the visuals, the tight gameplay, the, the story. It, this is really a masterclass in design. So it's, Nintendo has, has all these franchises. And I feel like Metroid might have the highest like super hit percentage. Federation Force is a problem, but otherwise, even like Samus Returns, like the remake of Metroid 2, isn't like the best. Well, I'm going to say something even more outlandish. Good. Even Other M, if you skip the story, I enjoy the game. If you just take it and say the story means nothing because the story does some things, it does I some actually bad things, enjoy yeah. the game. But I did a little deep dive, Mike, on the history. And retro, it took them a year or two to bring this to Nintendo and show them sort of the mechanics of the first person. Then it took them another year to get even the first level done for Nintendo to approve the style and gameplay and world design. Then it took them one last year to complete the rest of the game. Nintendo was kind of asking them for a certain release date. So the last year where they had to do basically the whole game in a year, they were working 80 to 100 hour weeks to try and get this game done. So yes, there was a lot of pressure from Retro to, to prove to Nintendo that they were worthy and capable of this franchise. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you got to prove your, and you got to prove yourself to the big guys, right? You got to make Miyamoto happy, which yeah. as a game designer, Miyamoto is clearly among the best, right? So that's very, very important to, to, to be able to just design it to a point where like the best game designer ever, like, sorry, folks, you create Mario, Donkey Kong, and and <laughs> Zelda, and Star Fox, and and it's like yeah, the trophy's yours. Yeah. I, I'm I'm talking about like on a pure design stand, uh, sure, pure design. Like, listen, Stanley and Jack Kirby worked together, and they created Spider Man and 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 the X Men and the Hulk. And yes, you you win comic books, okay, you you get it. But like from a game designer standpoint, from 
developing characters. Like you look at Miyamoto and it's just like, this, this man is, he knows how to, like his, his character designs are, are perfect. And Metroid is a game like, like we were saying before, because it's the Metroidvania, because it's all about secrets, it's all about exploration, detail is so important. And this game, every detail fires. Like like you were talking about before, the soundscape of it all. It's like the retro had to get it right. They had to get everything right. They had to impress people. And Nintendo gave them Donkey Kong after that. So it means that something worked here. But like I remember the first time firing up the charge beam and you hear that like, and it just charges up and it blasts and it... The plasma, the it's not plasma, sorry. There's another beam called the plasma beam that liquefies stuff. But the shot will like hit the wall and kind of like like splat and kind of yeah, like spread the, a little the, bit. The particle effects and the design and the graphics. I mean, I know for years IGN's Fran Mirabella would say this was his favorite game of all time. And yeah. I think, you know, Pear Schneider as well. I think they would talk about how this game was just a masterpiece in 2002, yeah. what this did to push hardware, tech. I think it also had Dolby Pro Logic too for like people, audio yeah, people out there. Yeah. This was really pushing audio as well. So this game did what Mario 64 did for Mario, what Ocarina of Time did for Zelda. This did for Metroid. And I think it did as good, if not better than those did as far as translations. Yeah, no, for, for sure. I think this is as important to the series as a lot of those games were. Other like best games in those series were, but showed the jump to 3D was good. It's probably in the in the in the headspace of like a Mario 64, like an Ocarina of Time on, on what you can do with this series or what you can, how you can translate this series to 3D. I think it works better than what we're seeing from a Metroid 64 that kind of looks like, like a bad version of Mega Man Legends or like Jet Force Gemini, yeah. which is not a game I don't, that's not a game I dislike. It's just like, I'm watching the video and I'm like, something's off here. Something's off here. I think we made the right decision. And what I love about it is that there's so much Samus can do in this game, which is what you want. And like every power up does something. You get to a point in Super Metroid where you have like every beam selected. So you're waving, you're spazing, you're hitting them with ice. It's plasma. It's everything at the same time. And it's just like, all right, cool. But when this game, it's like you have to strategically plan how you use which gun against which enemies. And while we're talking about the visor, we kind of totally misstepped here. The way you learn about your environment is you scan stuff. You turn Samus's visor to scan mode and you can scan your enemies to find weaknesses. You can scan the environment to see where you can maybe get through a hole or something like that. And most importantly, the story is not given to you at all. You scan the entire story from logs that you find on computers and stuff like that, something that Bioshock would later go on to do. So you can skip the story in Metroid Prime completely, or you can learn about how terrified the space pirates were that Samus was coming. Yeah, this was take this takes place before Metroid and Metroid 2 on the Game Boy. And the actually the whole Prime trilogy takes place between that time frame. Yeah, between one and two. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really, I mean. The Metroid timeline, if you're going to compare it to Zelda or Mario, it's so much more coherent than any Mario or Zelda plot. The Metroid stories actually do fit and flow more or less if you use yeah. your imagination through them. And I do appreciate that a bit. It's actually like one kind of sh straight timeline. So it's like, yeah, it's like you got the original Metroid slash Zero Mission, and then you have the three Metroid Prime games. Then you have... 
Well, I guess other M is somewhere in the mix. I don't know if <laughs> Nintendo considers it part of the timeline. I don't love Canon anymore. No, I don't think so. And then you get to Metroid 2 and then Super Metroid and then Dread. Oh, Fusion and then Dread. Correct. So we're in a spot right now where the Metroid story, spoilers, is over. So we need to see where Metroid we Prime even, 4 will bring I was going to say, I don't even know if we know exactly where that takes place. So that'll be interesting to see. So... Mike, this game from 2002, it's 20 years old. They made the trilogy that came out on the Wii that had yeah. some enhancements to make it more like quality of life of Metroid Prime 3. So that was in 2009. And that was pretty cool, getting that trilogy, getting some enhancements. And that came to the eShop in 2015, which you could only get for another month on the eShop because that's going away. You won't be able to buy it with a credit card in another month. So anyone who's itching to play this game again, if you have a Wii or a Wii U, you could still get this game. Yeah, you totally can. And I guess I I have the Metroid Prime trilogy. I bought it. I got the steel book. I it's never let cool that thing case. go. It's really cool the way it's, it's packaged. Really cool. Actually, I have to check my game wall to see if it's still there. Hopefully I didn't sell it. But it's one of those things where, yeah, if you have it, hold on to it. And while you can get it on the Wii U, and I know they're gonna stop taking credit cards. I don't know if that's on like the Wii U. Oh, I guess you can't buy Wii U games off the website. Correct. You can buy 3DS games off Nintendo's website right now. So that's like a that's like a hack. You might be able to get around the whole credit card thing if you buy them on the website. But the Wii U, I think they pulled those games down. But uh, yeah, I would definitely suggest you jump on this. Now we're going to release this podcast. We're going to tell everyone to buy it. They're all going to buy it. Next week, there'll be a remaster, a remake of Metroid yep. Prime 1. And Here it comes. I'll happily pay 50 or $60 for that game because yep. this game as far as metacritic scores we talk about it once in a while this one's sitting at a 97 it's up there just below tony hawk pro oh. skater and soul caliber yeah <laughs> thps2 it's so funny but 97 uh, at 100 it's like i think it's like in the top five or top 10 of metacritic scores dude it's gotta be it's really good like it's one really of good best-selling gamecube games at over three million worldwide which is kind of sad, but it you know. is, it is. It was not a huge install base, but it's considered one of the greatest games of all time. And I think deservingly so this oh, yeah. game is just as impactful, I think, as Super Metroid is in its genre. It stands toe to toe with Super Metroid and Metroid Dread as just really good Metroidvanias. I don't want to go this podcast without also saying that, yes, this was a big influence on Bioshock for sure, but Batman. It's just Batman is Metroid Prime. Batman's Batman Arkham Asylum is Metroid Prime. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is Metroid Prime. These are all Metroid Prime. Yeah. All these games, these games, any like 3D kind as of. As I explored the map of Jedi Fallen Order, I kept thinking of Metroid Prime the entire time as I was exploring. Just the way the whole map yes, works. It's, the way it flowed. And I that's a credit to, and it's nothing against Jedi Fallen Order. Something works. That's the best thing to do is take what works. Good artists borrow. And great artists steal. And as an artist, I hate saying that, but it's true. It's true. Your influences, I've said this on this podcast, I've said this on a lot of podcasts. It is a creative soup that we are pulling out of, and we're all pulling out of the same stuff. So Metroid Prime is 20 years old. So why wouldn't a game use stuff that was developed in Metroid Prime? And I forget what game I was playing recently that had a scan function where you had to scan stuff like crazy. And I was like, oh yeah, Metroid Prime's still around. And it's going to, Matt, you're going to get a text from me at like 11 o'clock at night. And I'll be like, that was the game. But, and Matt would be like, please, I have three children. I, I need to sleep. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a really, really special game. It's one of the best. It's definitely 
and the tops of the GameCube, definitely in the tops of its own series. And yeah, Matt, you're not wrong. Probably if we were to take the top games of all time, and there's a lot of video games, it's definitely in a it's higher percentile. It's definitely in the top 50. It's well, hard depends on you, which publication you're talking to. But it's hard when you get down to 20 or 30. It is tricky because there's so many great games of all time. But this is easily, easily on the top 100. I think almost uh, unquestionably in the top 50. But it, it's, 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 it is that impactful. And the mood, right? The mood of it all. Like we talked briefly about the music in this game, but wow, the sound effects and the music. And the, the urban legend goes, and I remember reading this on like Metroid's wiki because that's what I do in my free time. I'll read like wikis for game series and like tie stuff together. Apparently like Tommy Tallarico, who was famous for, well, now he's famous for video games live. He does runs that program, but he did the music for like Earthworm Jim and some of the Tomb Raider games. He was really like, he was on G4 for a while with a couple of shows. He allegedly, Miyamoto and the folks over at Retro went to him and said, hey, we want you to work on the sound effects for this game. And we want you to make quote unquote, really cool sounds with no direction. So who knows if that's true, but it has some really cool sounds. <laughs> I know it's got great sounds and that's the reason why, but like between that and like the, 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 the main Metroid prime theme is really good with kind of like that, like that kind of like weird, like alien grossness. The world of Talon four is really cool. It's a beautiful, beautiful world that absolutely has every single geotype that you can think of. There's lava pits and there's a jungle and there's ice and just like every video game ever. There's even a desert. So it's got, it's, it's amazing. How you traverse through the game is amazing. The use of elevators as the closest thing to a quick travel system is really good. And yeah, man, this game is, this game is an all-time great, all-time. And for those keeping track at home, this Metroid game does have a Ridley. It's got Meta Ridley, but it does not have a Kraid in it. So, yeah, but <laughs> big old Big Daddy Kraid came back. He sure and did. He, he was not looking so hot, let me tell you. <laughs> so, that will enshrine Metroid Prime 2002, the Nintendo GameCube, a truly special game to our Hall of Fame. So, Mike, I'm going to hit you with that question. What have you been playing. So I I definitely kind of led you guys on at the end of the last episode uh, about something I was playing. The last episode I was on, I'm not sure how these are going to, uh, how our episodes are going to pan out, but I was playing, I have not gone back to Xenoblade. So that should probably tell you something. Uh, I've put it back in the box because I don't want to travel with it because I'm afraid I will lose it. Like hopefully I didn't lose my Metroid Prime trilogy. And I was playing Dragon Quest Builders 2 on the Switch. It was on sale. I started with the with a little trial period. And you know what? I started playing it in handheld on my Nintendo Switch Lite. And I complained about it not running well. And it seems like it runs way better handheld or, or on the Switch Lite. So I'm just going to keep playing it that way. And it's it's a really nice... Dragon Quest, for those of you who don't play Dragon Quest, this is not the one to start with if you want a turn-based RPG. This is a little different. This is like Lego Mage Dragon makes Dragon Quest meets like Minecraft and stuff, but it's, it's lovely. It's a really fun game. But the thing about Dragon Quest that I always like is that they're very, they're very fairy tale like they're very comfortable. They're very bedtime story style games. And if you're going to play a Dragon Quest game on the Switch, you should just play Dragon Quest 11S because it's probably the best RPG on the Switch or up there. It's one of them. 
but I'm loving Dragon Quest Builders 2. It's a lot of fun. It's a really nice game to just sit and knock a few hours around and really get lost in the world. And it's it's creative. It's fun. It's interesting. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. But the big one that I led you all on with last time was, all right, folks, you know how I am. I'm not the biggest from soft guy. I'm not the biggest souls player. I, I'm not saying I don't like the games. I just, I just don't always get it. I understand that the, the path to righteousness needs to be terrible and everything needs to want to kill you. Those games are like being a geek in high school. The whole world is against you. You walk in and you just get beat up until, <laughs> until, you know, you eventually you move on to college and things are better. So the lands between, I have picked up Elden Ring, which is on everyone's game of the year for 2022 already. This game is still one of the top selling games of the year. Every publication is still talking about it regularly. I think Elden Ring will, if not, if it's not game of the year, 2022, it will be game of the year in a handful of publications. It will be on the tops across the board. People are talking about this game like they talked about Breath of the Wild six years ago or five years ago, rather. This is going to be in the stable of games that are massively important. And as you all know, I'm a glutton for punishment, and I decide to play every game or as many games as possible that are quote-unquote game of the year style games. So I had to get Elden Ring. So I finally got Elden Ring, and I've played it for a little bit. I've made a samurai. I don't know if that was the right decision. It might have been the wrong decision. Who knows? The game doesn't tell you what's good or bad, and the game doesn't really tell you what to do. So I just gonna, I'm just going to tell you this right now. I've been playing for about an hour, maybe a little longer, and I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea where I'm going. I die a lot. There's stuff everywhere that just wants to kill me. I walked out of like the first tomb after I died the first time after trying to fight some monster who killed me in like a hit and a half. I wake up. I take this elevator out of the earth from like this, I don't know, mausoleum. I walk outside. There's a bunch of stuff out there. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm just going to start walking. Some dude on a horse comes up to me and stabs me to death. I end up back in the same grave. I get back up. I collect the stuff that I lost because like my soul spirit guts are all over the world here. So I pick it up and I walk away from the guy on the horse to fight some bats. So I killed these bats and then I find like this little zombie town. I'm like, all right, well, I guess there's a zombie town here, folks. That's what we're getting. And I kill all the zombies. And then, then there's like this little hallway that I can walk down and walk down into. I'm like, ooh, look at this, a real live dungeon. Take that breath of the wild. So I walk down the stairs to the dungeon and I am neglecting to read any of the hints that my fellow gamers have left me because I'm a fool. And I walk in, I fight some big rats. So akin to the New York subway. And I, I find a treasure chest. And Matt, what do we do when we see a treasure chest in a video game? You're usually told to open it because it should give you something of value. Exactly. So you're going to get yourself a little treasure. So I'm excited because I'm like, listen, I've played in this game for like 20 minutes and I found a treasure. Maybe it's some new armor. Maybe it's a new sword. Maybe it's a way to improve my character. I don't know. I don't know how this game fully operates yet. I don't know if there are upgrades to my weapons, but anyway, I do what any curious gamer or D&D player would do. And I open the chest. And what happens, Matt? I'm teleported to some other place in the world into a mine filled with like bone demons who want to eat my soul. They kill me. I come back. I run away from them. I get out of the, this other, this mine. I'm on like this beach with like these big evil turtles that are shooting gas at me. And I finally am like, you know, what? I'm just going to run. And I keep running. I fight some ghosts. 
And then eventually I see some skeleton dudes and they kill me again with like, they have like 17 arms and they just like flail at me with all their swords and I die again. So, so Mike, pay I wanna, attention to my Twitter folks. I, I want to, I want to ask you, number one, does it at least look and run as well as it should in the PS five? Is it a, a good looking and running game? I think it's incredibly ugly. Now I'm going to say that I mean that not as a compliment, but I don't mean that as a slight. I think all of these games are purposely ugly. I think they make them look grim and ugly and gray and dark. And just, it just, they want you as a player to like walk through this world and feel miserable. But like there's beauty in the way that it's designed, right? There's a beauty to that. There's a beauty to the monster design and this weird Japanese horror thing going on and giant bat people and and ghosts and, and all this nonsense. So it's ugly, but only because it's supposed to be. And it's supposed to be harsh. And is the combat any less clunky than some of the Souls game? No. No. So no. you're still rolling around like an idiot? Like an idiot. <laughs> like an idiot. Blocks apparently are useless with my little like pot lid shield that I'm trying to block with right now. I'm going to tell you this much. To anyone, anyone out there on the internet who tried to sucker your friends named Mike Staub into playing this game because your justification for it was, listen, Mike, it's not like the other Souls games. I've been lied to. All right. This is Dr. Pepper does not taste like regular Dr. Pepper. It's fine, but it's it's not the same. This is this is this is exactly what I'd expect out of a Souls game. Just it's an open world now. So there's no like linear path that I have to worry about fighting a boss. I can die when I feel like it, I guess. <laughs> so I've been told, which I'm sure you know, they say to run away from as many enemies as you can in the beginning to try and gather items that can help you weapons that are stronger and i've been told to find weaker enemies so you can grind up and fight them over and over again so you can power yourself up a bit yeah dude i've been doing the slime grinds i've been out there fighting little skeleton dudes and zombie dogs and and all that jazz so i'm working on it i'm grinding i'm not i'm not trying to say that this game is bad i just find it funny that i'm just so miserably terrible at it and i don't know if i will get better but eventually i'm gonna get there i'm gonna get there somewhere somewhere oh. That, that is very fun to, I, I will see if you continue playing Elder Ring. It'll be interesting to hear what you have to say, Mike. But this is a game think, that like you, I've just because it's a generational type game, this is supposed to be like Fortnite, Minecraft, Breath of the Wild. One of these like once in five year type game. Yeah, no, for sure. And I will play it through as much of it as I can based on force of will alone. For those of you who don't know me personally, I am very, very, not, I don't know if I'm stubborn, but I definitely uh, have a lot of willpower. So I will sit down and push through and push through to the point of misery. But I don't think it's a bad game. I actually think it's actually quite good. And I'm actually enjoying myself so far killing little dogs and bat people and ghosts and skeletons because I'm miserable. Hopefully, eventually I can move up a little bit and start killing some of these other things. But yeah, man, when you open up a chest and it transports you to another part of the world that you had no intention of exploring, you have no idea how to get back. Someone's going to be like, well, you should just use the fast travel system. That's clearly all over the place. I'm like, all right. I didn't know they had it. So it sounds like an experience. So you'll have to keep letting us know if you do continue playing what you think of it after a few hours in. I've, I've always been told, I've always been told by souls. And you're, I know you're out there souls folks. Okay. We know who you are. Okay. 
anytime anything comes up, it's souls. It's souls, 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 souls. Every conversation. Well, have you played Bloodborne? Yeah. I'm just surprised that From Software doesn't catch any heat for making the same game over and over again. Like any other developer would catch heat for this. But I guess because there's like the whole gaming kind of like hierarchy, kind of like not egotistical, like elitism of the get good movement. I think that's the reason why they're cool with it because like, I would, I would love an easier difficulty in these games. And I know that's like the point of these games that it's hard, but maybe I just want to experience and play through it and see the monsters in the world and, and experience that. Yeah. You want to do the content tourism thing, which I get, which I get, but I'm going to keep you updated on how All it right. goes. I do think it's a very good game. I really do. And I don't mean to, to, I'm not trying to like make fun of souls players or, or make hey, fun of not the series. every game is for everyone. And I'm probably in the same boat as you when it comes to these games, but there are the, those souls people out there and they're sitting on their, on their, in their cars right now or in their headphones and they're yelling, this game is the best game ever. Mike, what's wrong with you? Yeah. I like to be able to attack. I'm just going to tell you, when I fight things, usually if, if a game is focused purely around fighting, which this game is, this is a very video game game, things just exist for you to kill and for them to kill you. And that's it. They don't kill each other. The monster, the other monsters don't fight. Like everything just hates your guts and you hate everything else. For a game that focuses this much on combat, you think the combat would be more intuitive. <laughs> well, Mike. It sounds like uh, this is a game that we, we're very much looking forward to if you do continue playing it. Oh, oh I'm, I'm going to continue, come, Matt. Come end of the year. <laughs> when we talk game of the year, I wonder if this will be on your list. So, Oh, it's going to be. Forget <laughs> it. I'm not even going to argue. I'm just a stupid idiot, and I'm going to do it. What about you, man? What are you playing? So I, like you, Mike, I have not played any more of Xenoblade Chronicles as of yet. I've not given up. I got back into, not on a whim really, but it just was there, and I clicked on it, was... Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, something that I had only played like an hour of. And I feel like last week you you were talking about this type of game where it's like, yeah, I'd love a Switch too because some games will run a little better. And this game is one of them where it's okay in single player. If you try to play a co-op, it's like snail mode where you're just watching the frames, but it's almost playable in single player. But I have to give them so much credit because it feels so much like Breath of the Wild. I played through the first to i think i'm in the third level and it is fun and they captured the font the gameplay the combat the all the enemies it feels like the world of breath of the wild and i'm enjoying the story because there is a bit more story in this even though it's weird this time travel it is much more dedicated to story than breath of the wild actually is yeah, that's that's cool. I played the uh, the demo and I was impressed with the visual of the game, right? I'm impressed with how it looks, how, you know, Koei Tecmo was able to be like, hey, we're going to make something that looks just like Breath of the Wild with the Guardians and you get to play as Impa, who I think was the character I liked using the most because she's yeah. like this cool ninja woman. And it runs at 20 frames a second or maybe less. It gets real bad. Matt, yeah. it gets real bad. Once a lot of enemies show up on the screen, dude, Ah, dude, this could I be know. so nice to look at. It, it, it runs a little better in the full product than the demo. I yeah. think they yeah. smooth, the combat feels a little smoother and I enjoy the grind of leveling up and the new weapons and all that. There's some RPG elements to it that these games just hooks me on. I want to keep killing yeah, a man. few more enemies, get that level up. It, it's that grind. And there's the strategy elements of the battlefield and knowing where to use your, your different characters. And I, I do love that aspect. But we'll see. It does not run as well as some of the other Warriors and Musou games on the Switch. And 
it's not like I can play this game on the PC or PS5. It's not an option. No, and I'll tell you right now, no offense to um, the game itself, because I do think it's probably, I mean, Musou isn't really my thing, but it probably is something that's pretty good. I played this on the Switch, the the demo, and, and I, I was like, okay, cool. Uh, there's definitely some creative things you could do with, the, they did with the game, and but the how it was running was like, it's, it's hard to play because the whole point of the game is about quick action. And when you, you slow down your frame rate, that kind of screws you up. So when I did, I'm a Persona 5 guy and I really like that series. So when Persona 5 Strikers came out and it's like, hey, it's less of a Musou and almost more like a Kingdom Hearts game. I was like, oh, let's give this a shot. I purposely went out of my way to buy it for the PS5 or PS4 and played it on the PS5 because I was like, I don't want to deal with that nonsense when I'm trying to kill stuff. So, I mean, it's a beautiful game, Hyrule Warriors, Age yeah. of Calamity, but yeah, it's well, just it's a not shame because like the One Piece Warriors games, you can play those on PlayStation, Xbox, PC. Yeah. But because, of course, this is a Nintendo property, you're not playing it anywhere else. So I'm just hoping if there is a Switch 2, Switch Pro, Super Switch, whatever it is. It kind of needs one. Games, yeah. yeah, it makes these games a little more playable. So that's what I've been up to. I don't really have something that I'm fully like sucked into right now. It's kind of like you said, a kind of a dry time right now for new releases. Yeah, it's a good time to catch up on games you might have missed, I think, or yeah. games that you might have missed over the years. I actually plan on getting more into some older retro stuff in the near future, too. Yeah, very cool. So that will do it for this week on the Hall of Fame video game podcast. Mike, where can people who are looking for you, they want to find you. How can they see you out there? Well, first and foremost, I'm going to continue to update my Twitter with uh, my my experience with Elden Ring. So you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore Mike underscore Staub. You can find me there. Uh, you can also find me with my band, uh, Bad Mary. If you search us out, Bad Mary, or you can go to Bad Mary Band or on Instagram and Twitter, or you can find us at badmary.com. You can also find me here on the Hall of Fame podcast, uh, Hall of Fame video game podcast, where uh, I talk with Matt about video games. And it's a, a true joy every week to come and spend this time with you, Matt. It's been a blast and I love doing it. So you can find me here. And then last but not least, you can find me with Long Island Retro Gaming. Uh, you could go to LI Retro on all your social medias and be geared up for our Long Island Retro Gaming Expo, which is a really cool, chill, fun, family-friendly video game convention that we do in August. It's going to be the second weekend in August, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So find me at all those plot, the spots. And then you will find me here next time when we talk about another game that is revolutionary. Yeah, so this was our... 74th episode. We have a special one planned for number 75. So we hope you guys are tuning in next week. Uh, please do follow our social media, our Instagram. Please do email us any questions, comments, as always. And do follow on the social media as I've been updating my Switch library each day with more games that I have that I've purchased and spent all my hard-earned money on. Yeah, I personally love that because so many of the games are amazing, but so many of them are bad. <laughs> And I look at them and I'm like, Matt, you are a champ. I, I have to say, I respect what you do because I do the same thing. Yeah, so. there's there's hundreds and hundreds of dollars on, I'd say, a dozens of some of these games that I regret. But you know what? That's the fun of it, Mike. It's like going into Blockbuster or Toys R Us and grabbing a game that's on the wall and purchasing it and being, ah, you know what? It's not that good. But that's that's gaming, right? You got to play good and bad to appreciate the good. It 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 it's important. It's important that we still have that mystery in a world where everything is online and you can watch the whole playthrough of a game online on YouTube or on Twitch. It's nice to go into the over bloated switch storefront 
and buy some real trash. <laughs> and you know what? Every now and again, maybe 5% of the time, you get a real winner. You get a, a real winner when you do that. It's a very high percentage there. So yes, please do continue. I probably have a dozen or so left before I run out for the time being. So um, excuse me, you will buy something else. You know it. I know it. Everyone those knows Those damn it. eShop sales. So <laughs> They're brutal. Oh, they are. So thank you, Mike. Appreciate, as always, joining me here. We look forward to spending some time with you guys next time. And it means get out there. It's getting warmer outside, but then get back inside, play some more games. And we'll see you guys all next Listen, time. Listen, spend your day outside and your evening inside. That's right. That's it. Later, guys. Later. From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Game Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time.